Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God. We're talking about self-defense. We're talking about where Jesus says to buy two swords. And we did two hours this morning on our regular broadcast, and you'll you can get copies of that uh, on the uh, on the network. Uh, They'll be released in nine days. And uh, you know, uh, on that, I I gave you a lot of history around what was going on at that particular time. In Judea, in the world, in Rome, why they would say certain things, why they would do certain things, and we're going to cover a little bit more of that in, uh, in order to give you a perspective when you're reading the Bible. You can't read the Bible like Jesus was down at the mall. You have to read it in the context of the history in which it was uh, taking place. And I gave you a lot of uh, information on other writings of the time that talk about people that were in the uh, text of the scriptures so that you know why they were doing what they were doing. What what was going on? Why were they imprisoning uh, uh, Simon? Who was uh, Simeon? Who was Menahan? Why was the Sanhedrin all new people. Who was appointing the high priests? How are they getting put into place? Were they getting into place the way they're, you know, the, the king's not supposed to appoint the high priests. The people appoint the high priests by picking ministers who pick ministers who pick ministers who pick ministers, and eventually they pick the high priests. The Sanhedrin was not a legislative body originally, it wasn't making laws. It was supposed to bring the Holy Spirit in as a guiding influence in the activities of the government. And the government originally was a government that did not exercise authority one over the other. The Levites were the government of God, the kingdom of God. They sat in the seat of Moses. The high priest sat in the seat of Moses. But they were not Moses. They were not Moses. They were not kings. Eventually they did reject God that he should not reign over the people and they elected a king who would exercise authority. They were told that he would end up taking and taking and taking, you know, in other words, taxing the people. He would even take their sons and daughters to make his sons run before his chariots. Then you're going to cry out and I'm not even going to hear you. And we've talked many times about how you get God to hear you is that you start hearing the cries of others like the Good Samaritan heard the guy in the ditch, and he went and helped. The other guys heard the guy in the ditch, and they didn't go and help. They they didn't love their neighbor. They did not attend to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith, which Christ condemned them for. So, what's what's the point of Jesus talking, where he refers to uh, he refers in the text. In the text in Luke twenty two thirty five, and he said unto them, When I sent you without a purse and script and and shoes, and lacked ye anything, and they said nothing. So he had done this once. He had not only sent the apostles out this way, but he sent the seventy out this way. And again the seventy why he picked seventy was 
there was no legitimate Sanhedrin in the government of Judea. The legitimate Sanhedrin had stepped down and walked out to go and serve the rightful king. Well, who was the rightful king? Well, Manahan, who was an Essene, one of the few Essenes who were in the Sanhedrin, but was picked because that the Essenes had a tremendous influence. They were generally not political, but there they were. Sanhedrin was there, and they were picked. Uh, the, uh, Manahan had been one of the guys, and they walked out because something was going on that he did not agree with. And I, I talked a little bit about the fact that the, this whole idea, the Zugat, the, uh, everybody was in these pairs, even the teachers were in pairs, because the idea is that, you know, uh, kind of like the old joke where the the uh, guy is hitchhiking and somebody picks him up, and he really appreciates the guy that picks him up, and he says, and he's telling him, he says, I, I really appreciate you picking me up. You know, it was really, you know, I was kind of lost out here in the wilderness and you picked me up and everything. I mean, you could have thought I was a mass murderer or something and just not pick me up. And he says, oh, well, no, I didn't think you were a mass murderer. The idea of two mass murders being in the same car at the same time, the, the odds are astronomical. And of course, the joke is the driver is a mass murderer. <laughs> he's now riding with him. But anyway, not a funny joke, but anyway, the point was, is that Manahan had a partner, Hillel, and Hillel disagreed, and they ended up parting ways. But 80 people, which is only 70 in the Sanhedrin, according to the ancient scripts, 80 people walked out taking their royal covering. What was their royal covering? I said this morning, look up our article on breaches and find out why the people were supposed to make the breaches of the Levites. It wasn't because they were supposed to sew their underwear. These are metaphors. In Hebrew, there's huge amounts of metaphors. The stones of the altar are people. They're not stones. They're not rocks. They're actually people. The stones of the temple are supposed to be living stones. The Bible talks about living stones. They're revealing what the, the ancients knew that these were metaphors and then they lost track of this during the Babylonian captivity and through their own apostasy. Now, modern Christians don't realize that those were metaphors. You were never supposed to pile up stones and burn up sheep. The Essenes at that time knew you weren't supposed to do that. The Pharisees kind of knew, but they did it anyway because this mindless ritual satisfied the mindless people who wanted to believe that they were the people, the chosen of God. But Christ came and said, if you're not going to do the will of the Father, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you and I'm going to appoint it to somebody who will do the will of the Father and will bear fruit. And of course, Christ does exactly that. You know, this is this is in all the movies and all the stories and all the preachers, Nobody actually makes it clear that Jesus Christ was actually the king of Judea. He was giving commands in the temple. He was commanding the ministers. He appointed his own Sanhedrin. He was high priest and king. He in the royal treasury, instructing the ministers of the royal treasury. 
This is the guy who's got the power, but he doesn't want the power. He wants to give the power back to you, the people. So he says, okay, this is what you have to do. You have to sit down the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Start caring about one another as much as you care about yourself. Start caring about you the rights of your neighbor as much as you care about your rights of yourself. And then Jesus also had to comply with the five rules of a king laid down in Deuteronomy 17. And on the page that we're going to share on the network in the next week or so, probably when we come out with the rest of the audios on this, which is about buying two swords, uh, or buying a sword, we're going to explain, and we'll have links to, somebody asked, what, what's a live link? I keep saying live link. Well, a live link is one where you click on, it doesn't go to a dead page. <laughs> but it also, you don't see the URL, it's just highlighted words that you can click on and get to Another page that will explain things in greater detail. You could just spend all day, all week, going through page after page, and you wouldn't get through everything at our website. There's a huge volume of information with lots of footnotes, lots of links, so you can look these things up. I mean, on the page I'm looking at right now, I could see dozens of words that I could highlight and would take you to an article about that particular word and explain how that was used at that particular time. The point is, is that showing you what Christ was really talking about. You know, when he talks about in in Matthew 9 and 10, about not taking any of these things with you, and still you were provided for. He was training them up in the ways of the Holy Spirit. And uh, in Luke 10.4, he was actually giving the same instructions to the 70 who was sending out two by two. And why 70? Because this was the new Sanhedrin, the rightful Sanhedrin. He was the rightful king. The apostles were the rightful high priests of the 12 tribes, except there weren't, the 12 tribes were all scattered and everything. But the apostles were from different tribes. But basically, they were representing what would normally be the high priests of 12 tribes. Uh, 11 uh, tribes of private individuals and one of the Levites. And then the way they picked high priests is as they moved the tabernacle around into the different areas following the different feasts, uh, which would rotate because of the odd number they would, they would be in different, you know, so you would, if you had uh, the ta- feast, the tabernacle would be in this area of Judea or Israel in one year, and the next year it would be in another area, and the next year it would be in another area. So even if you didn't get to go to the feast every year, somebody from your village did, and then some years it would be right there near you, and you could all go (laughs) because it was nearby. And so this is a way of binding a whole nation together because they weren't bound together by contract. They were bound together by common interest, by virtue, by love for one another, and by righteousness, because you care about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. So Jesus had appointed his disciples. I talked on this page about the blood and upheaval. Uh, I can actually add a lot more, and I may add a lot more by the time we uh, release this with all the recordings. Uh, But also I talk about, because there was other blood going on there. I mentioned this morning about Zechariah and stuff. Oh, yeah, here it is. I, I did, it did show up in red when I reloaded the page. So anyway, uh, the transgressor, when they talk about 
uh, one individual was saying, and he was numbered amongst the transgressors, and supposedly, according to the interpretation of one individual, that the whole reason that Jesus said they had to sell their coat was so that they could fulfill this prophecy of being accused of being transgressors that you find in Isaiah 53. And I have links that takes you to those different uh, parts of the webpage. And I'll probably add uh, links back to this article on those places so that if you're reading the Bible on the website, which has the whole Bible, it, it can take you back to these other articles that explain this in in greater uh, detail. But anyway, in uh, Luke 22:36-37, he is talking to them uh, that they were to now take their purse and take uh, funds and scrip and and uh, and if you don't have a sword, uh, you you should get one, even if you have to sell your garment to buy one. You need to get a sword. He's telling them that. And they, the guy is saying, so they came back with two swords. They never left. These are the instructions. Jesus, in the context, if you go read Luke 22, and you read a few verses back, Jesus has just appointed the kingdom to these apostles. He said he was going to take it away. He did. He fired the money changers. And then... Uh, he also sent these people out so that they would organize themselves in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. He had made them organize themselves in the tens, hundreds, and thousands uh, when there was the loaves and fishes when they were probably at the Feast of Tabernacles because that appears for several reasons we've discussed in other places to be where they were at when the loaves and fishes were handed out. So he is got everybody organized He's fired the money changers. New money changers will now come into place because the money changers are the porters of the temple. And there's a lot of, you know, we have whole articles on money changers. So you can find out what they were doing. And only the king could fire the money changers. Since the days of David, it says this, that that's who can fire the money changers. And that's what he was doing because that's what you do with a string whip. Pharaoh had a string whip. Lots of governments had string. They had a scepter and they had a string whip. He took the string whip and you're fired, you're fired, you're fired, you're fired, you're fired. And they're out. And what does that mean? They're not going to collect $93 million in silver in the month of Adar. They had to get rid of Jesus. They had to get rid of him before Pentecost. Because, uh, and a great time to do it was evidently when he had everybody there was at the Passover, because they might not be able to get them all later on. So they they caught them at the Passover, thinking that they were going to do them in. In reality, they were fulfilling prophecy. But the, nobody sent guys out to go buy swords in the middle of the night after these instructions, because Christ is going down saying, you, I'm appointing to you a kingdom, but you're not to be like the kingdoms of the Gentiles who exercise authority one over the other. The only free governments that we know real well through history, although I can give you lists of a lot of other governments that were pretty free. Uh, you know, the Toots and the Jutes and the Franks and the Lombards, they all had, at one time or another in their history, were pretty free systems. And they were all based on the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Now, what makes them free is the amount of virtue in the people themselves. 
It isn't just the system. It isn't just the numbers. But the amount of virtue. Because you will not organize yourselves in the tens, hundreds, and thousands unless there is the virtue of Christ in you. Because in order to do it, you have to care about others as much as you care about yourself. And I gave a little parable of a of an incident out on the desert with of three sheep under the bush. And if you want to know what that is, you'll have to listen to the previous recordings. <laughs> so, uh, so the idea here is that these free governments that are organized in the tens, hundreds, and thousands had no taxes, no king, no legislator passing laws like everybody has to get a vaccination, which is coming down the pike in many countries, that, that you can abort children at nine months. Uh, they're saying, yeah, you can do that. And because they're forcing your offerings, your Corbin, your sacrifice, your tax, which we call taxes today, because they're allowed to do that. They're allowed to force them because you're eating at their table. You're in debt. You're surety for debt. Through your covetous practices, you have become merchandise, which Peter prophesied you would do. And so there you are. You're, you're merchandise. And your, your children are cursed with the same surety and debt. And you are the children of your parents who cursed you. Now, I'm not picking on your parents and I'm not picking on you. I'm just telling you like it is. There is a solution. The solution is called repentance. You have to turn around and think another way. The way is not the way of the Sakari, which we talked about this morning. We have a little bit on the Sakari on the webpage. It is not to foment violent revolution. It is to be the revolutionists of Christ who who showed a revolutionary new way. Well, it was new to them. It's actually a very ancient way. It's actually, they talk about that in prophecy, to remember the ways of the ancients. When they came back and built the stone temple during the time of Cyrus, they did it wrong. And the old men wept because they realized they were going to do it wrong again. They're trying to build a dead stone temple. That isn't the way it goes. You have to build a living temple. All these uh, evangelical Christians who are waiting for them to build the temple in Jerusalem and start the daily sacrifice and kill some poor red cow. That's not it. You, you're missing it. You've been, you've been listening to false teachers. That isn't what the text is talking about. And they're not telling you anywhere in the text that you can't own a sword or a gun. As a matter of fact, quite the contrary. Because he's saying right out, if you don't have a sword, Jesus knew who had swords and who didn't. And yeah, somebody held up two swords or two guys held up two swords and said, well, here we have two. And he says, it's enough. Now, he might have been talking and on the page we show you this. And actually, I could show you a lot more because a number of Greek scholars don't believe that that enough is talking about the swords. It's talking about an end to this list of things he's giving them after just appointing them to be the rulers of a kingdom but not a rulers of the people. They were princes of the kingdom, but not they were not arche, what the Greek called arche, or arco. They were not rulers over the people. They couldn't force a tax. They couldn't force a draft. 
They couldn't pass laws that said that you had to get a gun or you couldn't have a gun or you had to have a sword or you couldn't have a sword. Those That's not their job. You have to make those decisions. And with the responsibility of owning a gun or sword, you have the responsibility of knowing how to use it. So there were some prohibitions on how not to use it. Also talk, I have a section on the page about the Gordian knot. And the, the guys who use the sword to establish their government, they're using force. And you might even say violence at times to establish their government. Uh, Saul, he was king because the people had elected a king, chose to have a king, and he was the successor. Now some people, when Rehoboam came after, uh, well there was Saul and Solomon, and then, well, there was David, and then Solomon. And when uh, Rehoboam came, Rehoboam says, My father, Solomon, has whipped you with whips, and I shall whip you with scorpions. In other words, he was going to really yeah, abuse the people and, and take it, take it, take it, take And a lot of them said, well, we're leaving the kingdom. They literally were the lost sheep. They were leaving the kingdom. Because you wanted the king... He is now, the power that was once yours is invested in that king. You can go off, but you lose your inheritance when you go off. And they went off. But now Christ came, and he was the king, and there was to be no successor after him. Christ is still the king. He did appoint appoint the kingdom to others to take care of, manage like a trustee. But he put these limitations, and if you read before this whole sword quote, it says that you're not to exercise authority one over the other. You're not to be like the governments who do that. You can't tax people. You can't, you know, so this is the free government. The church is another form of government. It isn't a place to go on the weekend. It isn't a place to go and get a good feeling. It should be taking care of all the daily ministration, all the welfare, all the social welfare of all the Christians entirely unspotted by the world. And if this individual who's been around a long time and was on Facebook would actually understand what that word world means, and we have a whole article that explains it, linked to about ten times on this page, he might actually understand what's being said in the Bible. But he wants to believe that he already understands, so he's very hard to show or teach anything. So there is no command to disarm when, even when Peter used his sword to cut off the ear of the servant, Jesus said, put your sword up into your sheath. He didn't say throw it away. He says, those who live by the sword may die by the sword, perish by the sword. But he didn't say to get rid of the sword. So what, what, where do you draw the line? Do you draw it in the imagination of this person reading the Bible or do you actually draw it where the intent is? Now, whether you're going to be willing to see the intent or not, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if you have eyes to see or ears to hear, but those of you who do follow this because in that, I, I quote Tertullian in, in, on the page where Tertullian says, when Christ disarmed Peter, and he didn't actually disarm Peter, told him take Put your arm back in its sheath. To disarm Peter would if you say, throw your sword away. You don't want your sword. <laughs> you know, sell your sword. Uh, turn it into a plowshare. Uh, which would have been a pretty small plowshare probably. But anyway, 
uh, when he told him to put the, it away, he disarmed every soldier. Well, in a way, he did. But there are all, lots of different kinds of soldiers. Remember, those five things that a king was prohibited to do in Israel, according to Deuteronomy, one of them is he can't mass a professional army. He can't mass gold and silver. Uh, and this whole idea, he wasn't to keep stables. That, that stables is that professional lined up soldier army. This is why the soldiers mocked Jesus, because they knew that if Jesus became, you know, Herod, uh, Herod Antipas, he actually met Jesus favorably, despite what you see in the movies. If you actually read the text, and you actually read history, Herod Antipas was repentant. He didn't, he wasn't totally against John. He was tricked into beheading John. Uh, he wasn't totally against Jesus. He actually wanted Jesus to perform miracles for him. But he was a little selfish. So are a lot of Christians. But he actually, there were things that happened in his life, according to other historical writings, that he may have repented. There certainly is evidence that Caiaphas repented and others repented. And there's evidence right in the text that Caiaphas was one who would eventually repent. But, so yeah, if if Christ is your king, you don't necessarily want to be a professional soldier. I'm not telling you you can't be a professional soldier. I don't have the right to restrict that. And Christ didn't restrict that either. But in the kingdom, who is... If the kingdom really is another form of government, where is the army? Where is law enforcement? How do you attend to the weightier matters if you don't you don't have any way of uh, asserting force upon somebody who's gone nuts and is out there murdering, robbing, and raping? How how do you stop them? You just sit there. Oh well, you know. It, when Jesus says, "Turn the other cheek," and we'll talk about this, and he says, "Turn the other cheek." He's not saying, oh, he raped your daughter? Give him your other daughter. (laughs) What? What? No, stop him. For his sake, stop him. If you love him, stop him from committing murder. That's the loving thing to do. Now, there's different ways to do that. I have faced mobs. I have faced faced guys attacking women who were bigger than me. And I stopped them, and I didn't have a gun. I've actually had pretty good success, thank God, in not having a gun when some of these violent situations have occurred through God's grace. But doesn't there's nowhere where he says you can't have a gun, you can't have a sword. He's not saying that. Anybody trying to impose those doctrines on you are making it up. Because he's not saying it. We'll go through some of the things that this guy... Brings up as his list. And other people do too. I have read so many ministers who talk about this issue. But the reality is most of those people who condemn the idea of having a sword. They actually live by the sword. They do. They don't want to admit it. But they are actually living by the sword. So what is that all about? Anyway. So I, as I said there is no command there. And I have a whole section on that. What I didn't get to. This morning, I have to keep an eye on the clock. What I didn't get to this morning is a list of things that uh, individuals have, uh, uh, and this individual particularly, listed off these things. 
that uh, we hear often in this argument against whether or not we should buy a sword or not. Because Christ clearly was not talking about that night running out and buying a sword and then coming back and say, hey, I got two. Well, okay, that's enough. Now let's go. No, they. it was already late and they were going out to Gethsemane and they didn't have time to run and buy a sword. These are just swords that they already had on them. And that could have been one person with two swords easily. So, anyway, we're going to take a little break and then we'll be right back to Keys of the Kingdom. Okay, well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. The uh, list of uh, other things that uh, individuals come up with, and this individual threw them out as, as a list, so I copied and pasted them down and put them on the webpage. They, they're clinging to these ideas that somehow weapons are evil. If you have a gun, a sword, or something, it's evil. And that if you use it, it's automatically violent. But it is not. As a matter of fact, if sometimes if you don't use a sword or a knife or a club or, you know, some sort of tool like a gun, you are actually committing a greater violence. Now, how could that be? Well, see, this is the thing is you have to think about these things in a real world and not just go off of catchy little phrases that you don't really understand and you take out of context, which... This individual and many other people do on a regular basis. Uh, right, the first thing he writes down is, don't resist an evil person. It actually doesn't say that in the text. Now, I don't know, maybe he has some translation where it does say that. But that isn't what it says in the King James Bible. Uh, it, and it's in Matthew 5.39. But I say unto you, that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee, on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now, he didn't say, again, he who stabs your daughter to death, give him also your other daughter, so that he may stab her to death. doesn't say that. You know, he who kills your brother, give him also your other brother, so that he may kill him. doesn't say that. <laughs> he's talking about somebody who slapped you, you know, challenged you, you know, don't give in to that, to fight him. But, you know, what is resist not evil? What is What does that mean? Well, actually, I have another one of those live links there under resist not evil where we have a whole article that talks about what it means to resist not evil. And, and it explains the psychology, the metaphysics of that, the spirituality of that, and what he means by resist not evil. And you have to go back a little bit to the original Greek and look at what these words mean and how they were used. Whom resisteth steadfast in faith? What, what? Peter says in First Peter 5, 9, Whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. And again, Peter is talking to brethren who are in the world, but not of the world. So, what does that mean, of the world? Evil forces of the world. What One of the things that they're talking about, using force and waging war. Well, Christ did not come to wage a war with instruments like swords and and flesh. 
came to wage a different kind of war. Now, the criminal who wants to just stab and murder and rob, that's not waging war. And the idea of stopping him, now, it, it stopping him is not, neither evil nor vengeance. Neither is it violent. As a matter of fact, if you don't try to stop him, that may be violent on your part. It's kind of like the, in the Old Testament, where if you had a bull that pushes, and you keep that bull, and you let people get exposed to that bull, and that bull crushes somebody, you can be held responsible for the actions of that bull. So if you've got a neighbor you know is a criminal, and a thief, and a robber, and a raper, and you let him get away with that, and continue to go out every night. You see him going out, getting in his truck and going out. And you know he's murdering and robbing people. But you don't do anything about it because, you know, you're to resist not evil. You're guilty. You're a criminal. In God's eyes and in the world's eyes. Because you didn't do anything. Because you don't love your neighbor. You don't even love that guy. He needs to be stopped. He needs to be restrained. He's just going to get worse and worse. This is what happens to these mass murderers. We talk about mass murders. Uh, Dahmers and these people. They're traumatized. They do something that's terribly evil to somebody. They get a sense of power. And they become addicted to it. They have to go back and do it again. They can't stop. Well, there's a way to stop them. A spiritual way to stop the evil that's making them do it. They may still choose to follow the evil. But they will run off and kill themselves. And this is why I gave in the example in the shows this morning about these guys who go into gun-free zones and shoot up a bunch of people. And as soon as they're confronted by somebody with a gun who might be able to shoot them, a little tiny gun compared to their AR-15 semi-automatic rifle with a big clip, they, they just have a little pistol. But when they're confronted with a guy, just see the guy there. They run off and kill themselves. Why is that? See, you don't understand. You know, you read you read the Bible, but you do not understand. You're not eating of the tree of life. So you don't understand the forces that operate in life. You don't understand evil. And so what happens is somebody like that who goes around and says, Oh, you're not supposed to have guns and everything. They're the ones that are going to lose their temper and and do something terribly violent to somebody. Because they're not operating from the Holy Spirit. They're operating from the tree of knowledge and their own personal arrogance. They can't see the obvious truth of the Gospels. Even when you explain it out and show them step by step what is what. So, anyway, you can go read that whole article. And we won't go through it because I don't think I have enough time to do that now. But it's linked there on the page. He says, uh, do not repay evil for evil. And then he quotes Romans 12, or I quote, actually I put these in there. Romans twelve seventeen, Recompense to no man evil for evil. Well, wait a minute. Somebody is robbing and murdering and holding people hostage. And you go in there and you point a gun at his head and say, please stop. <laughs> now you can yell, put your gun down, you're... You know, call names if that's your style, but you don't have to do that. Uh, you know, you can say, you know, stop or I'll shoot you. Now, you're giving him an opportunity to stop. You don't want to shoot him, 
But you don't want him to shoot this other person. You know, what was it? Dream Team. Uh, where he finally gets the, the bad guy cornered and the bad guy has a gun on his girlfriend. And he says, drop it or I'll shoot you. He says, you drop it or I'll shoot your girlfriend. Go ahead, I can get another girlfriend. <laughs> and, and it's a comedy. It doesn't really mean that. And uh, he says, you're not this crazy. He says, actually, this is my idea of a good time. <laughs> so, they got, if you haven't seen the movie, it's it's actually a good movie to see. It's funny. Um, anyway, the 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 fact is is that the guy doesn't shoot the girl, doesn't shoot the other guy, doesn't shoot the guy with the gun. Uh, he surrenders. That's a favor. You were able to do that. He he didn't become a murderer. He, yeah, he got arrested and he got put in jail. But that he's not going to hurt other people. Maybe he will come out of jail a reformed individual instead of a crooked cop. Uh, he's not going to murder any more people. Uh, you know, that's what he did. He murdered a cop by shooting him in the head and tried to kill this other doctor who happened to witness it. And now somebody with a gun put an end to that. Because he had a gun. He didn't even buy it. I don't know where he got it from. He got it from somebody during the movie. <laughs> but anyway, that's that's a responsible thing to do. And there's nothing not Christian. That is certainly not evil. He did not shoot anybody. He was willing to if he absolutely had to. But he was giving the guy an opportunity to stop. And the guy stopped. That is not resisting evil with evil. That's resisting evil with It's not even resisting evil. It's standing fast against evil with righteousness. You know, you've given that guy every opportunity to risk your life to stop him. And so in 1 Thessalonians 5.15, it says, See that none render evil for evil. Rendering evil for evil is after you got the guy to drop the gun, you go over and pistol whip him. (laughs) That would be... Evil for evil. That's not what you're doing. You're stopping them. There's a responsibility with the right. You have a right to bear arms. We have big long articles on, on that explaining why you're losing the right to bear arms. And you can lose that right. You lose access to that right. Because you lose access to everything because you go back into the bondage of Egypt, which you have already done. And we explain how you've done that. But again, my message is, I'm not picking on you because of the fact you've lost your liberty and sold your rights and your parents have sold you into bondage, into debt, and made you merchandise, made themselves merchandise through your covetous practice, all of which was prophesied in the New Testament. But I'm saying if you repent and and think a different way and start caring about, really caring about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself, caring about your neighbor's rights as much as you care about, you will Find your way back to the kingdom. So if, when you read in First Peter, it's a little bit different. Three nine, not render evil for evil, or railing for railing, but uh, contrarywise blessings. Well, to stop a man from murdering somebody else, stop somebody who's out of control and injuring other people, that's a blessing. You've blessed him by stopping him. You know, your desire, you know, the guy who actually 
was probably one of the most instrumental people in capturing Che Guevara. Most people don't know who Che Guevara is. I mean, any any black person wearing a Che Guevara t-shirt is an absolute fool. <laughs> I'm sorry, you're a fool. Did you have do not Che Guevara hated black people. He wanted to exterminate them. He considered them less than human. And so, why in the world would a black man hold Che Guevara up as a hero? It's just crazy. But Che Guevara was a victim of his own vanities as well. I mean, he was a remarkable individual as well, but the guy who caught him was even more remarkable. (laughs) And uh, he knew that when they catch him, they were going to execute him. He didn't want to have anything to do with that. To him, Che Guevara was evil. But he wasn't fighting evil with evil. He was just trying to stop him from all the murder. I mean, he murdered children. He murdered women. You know, like there was a uh, a young man who was going to be put to death. And uh, his mother came to Che Guevara to plead for his life. And she said, in three days or something like that, they're they're going to execute my son. You know, and I I want want him life spared. I'm in agony over my son being executed. And and so Che Guevara called them up, got a hold of them, and says that you have so-and-so, and you're going to execute him in three days. Well, you're causing pain to the mother. Execute him right now. So they executed him right there. They shot him. This is Che Guevara's idea of mercy. You know, help you out. Now you won't have to suffer. He's, it's done. I mean, he just shot people tied up, children tied up, women ch- tied up, young girls tied up, just shot them, killed them himself, personally. He was he was evil out of control, but anyway, now he was captured. They had him, and this guy thought, but he knew that they were going to execute him, so he went away, and they executed him. And he came back, and he cleaned up the body, and you know treated it with respect. And he says because he said the man had a soul. You know, I don't, I, I'm not here to judge him. I just was here to stop him. So there's a, there's a good man. You know, because he hunted him down to stop him and he saved thousands, probably tens of thousands of people's lives because they stopped him. But the truth is, even at that point, Castro wanted him to stop because the guy was just totally out of control. But he was totally out of control because people are... This is what happens when you do not seek the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God. You become a socialist and then a communist and then a murderer and then you you get the blood up i mean lenin all those guys they they couldn't stop killing they just killed and killed and killed they were like like the guys in the gun-free zone who keep killing until somebody stands against them now admittedly you can stand spiritually against them and stop them but i'm not going to tell people they have to go and face evil without a gun or without a knife when God tells you to go and face evil without a gun or without a knife or without a sword, go do it. Do not be afraid to do it if it's really God telling you to do that. In the meantime, Christ is not saying disarm. He did not disarm Peter. He did not appoint the kingdom to men to raise up an army and defeat Caesar either. He was counted amongst the transgressors, which of the transgressors was... You know, we explained that this morning. It's, it, that that word doesn't mean robber or thief. It meant revolutionary. Well, Christ was a revolutionary. But he he knew that you had to change the heart of the people. 
And so he tested the heart of the people first by sending them out with nothing, but then he sent them out. They could take a sword with them. And you can take a sword with you or a gun with you. But you need to be repent and seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It is not righteous to apply for benefits that are provided to you by men with guns. In other words, if you apply to the benefactors who exercise authority, who force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare, you go down and get welfare, you go down and get uh, even food stamps, you go down and get Social Security, you go down and get free education for your kids, you go down and get free health care, you go, go down and have them take care of your parents and, and collect Social Security. You're living by their sword. Because they're able to provide those benefits because they force your neighbor to contribute. You've already left the kingdom and become a part of the world. And this is where the, uh, uh, they, they don't, uh, understand. You know, when they talk about, uh, these things, you know, we're supposed to be peacemakers and do violence to no one. What is violence? What is the definition of violence? Violence is an extreme form of aggression such as assault, rape, or murder. I'm not telling you to murder people. I'm not telling you to rape people or assault people. I'm telling you you have the right to use power, force, to stop someone who is murdering and assaulting and raping people. You can use force to stop them. That's not using extreme aggression to commit those acts, but to stop those acts. And that's one of the things in natural law is that you can use comparable force to what they're using. You know, if if somebody is pinching somebody to get them to do something, you can't go up and shoot them in the head. You can pinch them. Okay. So what's a pacifist? A pacifist is a person who believes that war and violence are unjustifiable. What is violence again? Aggressive assault, rape, and murder. But you can be a pacifist and stop somebody physically, forcefully from committing a crime against somebody else. That's just, that, that's just how things work. So I'm looking here at my time. Do I have enough time to do some of these things? Uh, yeah, it says bless those who persecute you. Well, we're not talking about somebody persecuting you. We're talking about murder, robbery, rape, and they're doing it out of total hate and stuff. And it is a mercy to stop people from doing that. But we are not uh, revolutionists who are going out, starting a war. See, this is the main thing. When I was being drafted to go into Vietnam War uh, way back in the 60s, uh, I thought, you know, if I met these Vietnamese, and I later on did meet Vietnamese, <laughs> had them in my house, uh, but if I met them under other circumstances, I remember the, the last Vietnamese, uh, I'm trying to think of who, well, one of the last ones to be here, you know, just suddenly just threw their arms around me and hugged me when they left, and I thought like, whoa. So somehow or other I had this impression on <laughs> I don't know what that was all about. But, uh, uh, Back when I was a young man, I was supposed to go and kill them and kill their parents and and fight against them. 
And, of course, they're drafting their people to fight against me. But the problem was is that both the United States and and Vietnam, North and South, had already taken a wrong turn. They had already rejected God and elected men who can exercise authority. And those men were taking their sons and making them run before their chariots to kill me. And then my government, supposedly, was the United States federal government. And this is where and I, I can't get into the long story. Uh, I ended up, well, I was spared from all that by the grace of God. And that's in a miraculous chain of events beyond my control. But I did go into the service. And I'm the only one I know who was, uh, I was not discharged from the service. <laughs> but I was released entirely as if I was never in the service. <laughs> and I never did anything wrong. I didn't get into any trouble. It was, wasn't, you know, dishonorably discharged or anything. I wasn't even discharged. They voided my induction. They apologized <laughs> that they had me. And again, that's a, it's a long story. But, uh, but while I was there, I learned a great many things. And, uh, but one of the things is that they, if I, if I was in these systems and I was designed not, to, I've never gone to public school and all these things, I was designed to be where I'm at today for some strange reason. But there are things going on behind the scenes. The, the, the Manahan, uh, you know, leaving, the Sanhedrin and making the government of Judea illegitimate is actually taking place in, in different places throughout the United States today. But I don't want to explain all that because people will go off and abuse that knowledge. But right now, the government is your legitimate government. And it is t- it can take your sons and make them run before their chariots. They can take your children and force vaccinate them. And they can add new vaccines all the time and force them. And there's very little you can do about it other than repent and obey Christ and seek what Christ said to seek to begin with. When Jesus said, my kingdom's not of this world, he was talking to Pontius Pilate. And this is why um, this guy quotes this. He says, if it were, my servants would fight for me. In other words, they would contend the word there is has, and we explain all this in our article on world, which there's a link right there. They would ta- he, he would fight this in court with Pontius Pilate sitting in the judgment seat. But Pilate had no jurisdiction. This is what Christ is saying. My kingdom's not of your world, your jurisdiction. Now, the word, the world there means constitutional order or system of government. And the word exousia, which mostly is used by and in reference to Christ's power, it has is also means liberty and jurisdiction. Jesus' kingdom was not under the jurisdiction of Pontius Pilate. And Pontius Pilate agrees with that, which is why he washes his hands of the case. If you understand Roman law, that's what he's doing. Because Christ said, you haven't got any jurisdiction, so we're not going to submit a defense in this court. That's what he's talking about. But this guy doesn't know that. He doesn't know what the Bible is actually saying. I don't know whether he wants to know or not. 
But we've explained this. He's been around long enough to have read the article and find out what he's actually reading instead of projecting what his, his eschatology, his philosophy into the Holy Scriptures. Because what he's doing is blaspheming. Pray he does not blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Because we're showing him what this really means. Yes, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, for the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. He's talking warfare. He's not talking about a robber on the highway. Now again, I, I've, I dealt with the robber. I dealt with the mass murderer. <laughs> who, who had every opportunity of clunking me in the head and killing me out in the wilderness. <laughs> Another long story. But he didn't, he wasn't able to do it. And God was showing me how the Holy Spirit works. You need the Holy Spirit. And if you come together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, a lot of you can help make up the lack of the Holy Spirit in some so that they might be saved. But if you refuse to sit down according to the commands of Christ, I can't help you. I can't even give you loaves and fishes. You you need to gather together in righteousness and then the strongholds will be destroyed. I talk to people in private, you know, about these some of these draconian bills that are coming up. You know, what is our defense against this? It's really spiritual, but if you won't even take the first steps to seek the kingdom of God, His networking ways of charity, His righteous ways of caring for one another, if you will not sit down because you have some vision of churchanity, that you're trying to duplicate. Some self-justifying uh, philosophy that you want to have your respect of other people. No, it's not that way. You know, he says, For I fight not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and principalities. Who else talked about flesh and blood? Flesh and blood has not revealed these things. So I've talked a lot about facts and information about for over the last three hours on this subject. And there's a lot more you can go into. But you have a responsibility to attend to the weightier matters of law, judgment, and mercy, and faith. Sometimes that requires you use tools. It always requires that you use virtue. It always requires that the Holy Spirit guide you in your journey. How do you awaken the Holy Spirit? How do you make room in your heart for the Holy Spirit? Stop being a self-righteous, arrogant uh, individual who's always judging other people. This whole thing started because some guy happened to have a, a weapon in his pocket, concealed weapons permit and all. He was actually a government employee. When somebody attacked innocent, unarmed people, you know, reasonably innocent, unarmed people at a synagogue, and he stopped the guy from continuing his carnage. The guy killed at least one woman and shot, you know, another guy's fingers off or something. I mean, his bullets were flying. But one individual had a gun and fired at him. Didn't kill him. I don't even think it wounded him. But he stopped the whole thing with just a little display of the ability to do something about it. This is, this is responsible. He, he took his life... He had to be courageous in order to do this. 
And uh, he probably doesn't think of himself as courageous, which is all the more reason why he is courageous. But anyway, we'll talk more about this next time in the Keys of the Kingdom. Join the network. Until then, peace on your house, and may God be with you. And join the Living Network while you're at it. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.